Uh, this morning, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. So if you have your Bibles, please, uh, please turn there. If you're just now joining us at Substance Church, you picked a perfect Sunday. Uh, not only are we wrapping up uh, our series, Passing the Torch, this morning, um, series on discipleship, but before we dive into today's passage, I'm going to summarize pretty much where we've, where we've been uh, over the last 10 weeks as we've explored Paul's second and final letter to Timothy in this New Testament book known as 2 Timothy. So, so remember, uh, it, well, and if you've not been here, I'll tell you for the first time, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote this book from death row while he was imprisoned in Rome on account of preaching the gospel. And he wrote this letter for the purpose of discipling his young friend and ministry partner, Timothy, for the purpose of helping Timothy to love and follow and exemplify Jesus Christ. And so Timothy was a, a young pastor in a big influential city called Ephesus, where he and his congregation were facing a lot of opposition, uh, spiritual and emotional and physical opposition. And so Paul wrote this letter for the purpose of discipling Timothy and his congregation through this challenging season. As we saw in chapter one, Paul began by essentially encouraging Timothy, by bolstering Timothy, by reminding Timothy that God was with him, reminding Timothy that he needn't be afraid, he needn't be timid, he needn't fear being disgraced for following Christ because the very power of God was with him. And so he ought to be bold and confident and courageous in the gospel. And then in chapter 2, Paul reminded Timothy that, that while he courageously endures suffering of opposition, he must also be a disciple maker himself. Timothy must also help others to love and follow and exemplify Christ. But in order to do that, as we saw in chapter 2, Timothy's going to need to keep his eye firmly fixed on the gospel, on the good news that, that through the perfect life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of sin and enjoy everlasting life with him. This, this gospel message that Paul uh, was reminding Timothy to be focused on is the very power of God to save and to sanctify and to strengthen Timothy and his congregation for, uh, for Christian life and ministry. And in, in the face of opposition even, and, and that opposition, Paul warned Timothy in chapter three, would go from bad to worse even worming its way into the church in order to deceive weaker believers and lead them astray. But Timothy will not be deceived because he is armed with the supernatural power of the gospel and, and the very word of God, as we saw, God's inspired scripture, which will serve Timothy as a plumb line for absolute and authoritative truth and will equip Timothy and his congregation for everything that's needed for Christian life and ministry empowered by the Spirit, which is why Timothy must never waver from preaching the Word of God, as Paul wrote in chapter 4. Remember that? It wasn't just a couple of weeks ago. Even if everyone else 
in all the world should follow their itching ears elsewhere and leave the scriptures behind, Timothy has been charged by Paul to preach the word. He must herald God's scriptures. He must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He must carry the torch and pass the torch until Christ's return, for Paul will soon be executed. Timothy needs to carry Paul's torch. With this in mind, we saw Paul write to Timothy in last week's passage. Remember verses 9 through 18 of chapter 4. We saw Paul write, imploring Timothy to make every effort to come to Rome to see Paul one last time. See, either everyone else had abandoned Paul or had been dispatched on mission. And even though that was the case, and even though Paul remained unwaveringly confident in Christ, knowing that the Lord was with him, he still longed for the comfort of a friend. We saw that last week. He longed for the comfort of his dear friend and his son in the faith, Timothy. And that brings us all the way up in, in, in really kind of a bird's eye view fashion, all the way up to this morning's passage. Like I said, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. So I would invite you to follow along as I read these four short verses. So this is Paul in closing to Timothy. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, even the final greetings that we've just read in your Bible from this letter from Paul to Timothy, even the final greetings are profitable to us for convicting us and training us in righteousness and shaping us into the people, into the church you desire us to be. I pray that we would know that. I pray we would believe that this morning. And I pray that we would count on you, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts, to the glory of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're looking at these uh, verses wondering what in the world we could possibly talk about for the next 30 minutes, that's okay. I felt that on Monday. Um, <laughs> but it seems, uh, it seems actually that last week's passage, if we look back at verse 18, it would have been a brilliant note for Paul to end on, Right? When he wrote, and the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It actually seems that, that Paul was planning to end there, does it not? But like every other preacher on the planet, he just keeps going. <laughs> and I'm glad he does. I'm glad he does because as I hope to demonstrate this morning, uh, these four seemingly random verses tagged on to the end of this letter actually serve as a profound follow-up to what we examined last week concerning the comfort of deep discipling relationships. 
So remember, last week we talked about the comfort that comes from being truly, deeply known by others in Christian community. As we looked at at Paul's yearning for Timothy's presence, we considered how deep comfort comes from those we've gone deep with. Uh, But this week, we're going to back up one step further to consider this, that before we can be known in Christian community, we must first be counted. We must do more than merely show up. We must get plugged in. Because an an inextricable part of being known is being counted, church, being named amongst the members of Christ's church. And and, and the fact is that you and I will never enjoy the deep, uh, soul-warming comfort of Christian community if we are not first known by a Christian community, but we will never be truly known by a Christian community unless we are counted amongst and committed to a Christian community. A gospel-centered, Bible-based, relationally-driven, God-glorifying church. And with all of the heaviness and and all of the the heartache and loneliness and fear and temptation that each of us faces on a daily basis, how can any of us afford not to be counted amongst such a community? See, I think one of Satan's greatest victories has been the gradual redefining of, of church to a mere event that people attend versus a family that people belong to and covenant with. Many Christians are are good at, at filling buildings, but struggle to actually be the body of Christ, members with one another, as Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 4. The temptation is that we would disguise ourselves as being part of a church. We would think ourselves as being part, but really we're gliding under the radar week in and week out. These are the sorts of things that this text, I believe, addresses. And so the title of my sermon this morning, as you can see on your bulletin, is is Being Counted and Being Counted On. And for the remainder of our time, we're going to explore what this passage says about those two concepts and how they relate to disciple-making. So I have two points this morning. They're in the title. Number one, we're going to look at being counted. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21, being counted. And then point number two, we're going to look at being counted on in verse 22. And so for the rest of our time, I'll be, other, I'll be under one of those points, Okay. So let's look at number one, and as we do, let's, let's re-examine the text. Uh, Paul writes in verse 19, to greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Now, now Prisca, or, or Priscilla and Aquila, as they are known in Acts 18, they were a husband and wife duo, and, and they were not only co-workers with Paul as being tent makers, they, they made tents with Paul as a lay job, but they were also friends and ministry partners and traveling companions uh, to Paul. And these two were seasoned and, and devout, uh, mature believers who, again, in traveling with Paul, ultimately ended up in the church at Ephesus, probably ministering alongside Timothy. Now, Onesiphorus 
was the friend and ministry partner whom Paul mentioned, if we remember, back in chapter 1, verse 16. He had traveled from Ephesus, probably also ministering with Timothy. He had traveled from Ephesus to Rome to search for Paul after Paul's arrest and imprisonment. And unlike the Roman Christians, Paul's friends in Rome, Onesiphorus wasn't afraid of associating with Paul. He wasn't afraid of the danger or, or, or the, 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 the probable disgrace that would likely come from, from coming in and ministering to Paul and associating with Paul. Interestingly, in today's passage, Paul doesn't greet Onesiphorus. He greets the household of Onesiphorus, and this could be due to, to death. Uh, Onesiphorus could have possibly died. Nevertheless, Paul greets Prisca and Aquila and the family of Onesiphorus one final time. There's a lot packed into that greeting, that this is the last time Paul will address these people on earth, the final words that he will write to them. And Paul continues in verse 20 by communicating to Timothy the location of Erastus and Trophimus. And these were two other ministry partners to Paul and Timothy. They would have worked with Paul and Timothy, as we saw in Acts 19 and 20. And, and, and the cities of Corinth and Miletus were not far from Ephesus and would have been destinations for Paul before his arrest. And so these two men were probably traveling with Paul uh, Milet- uh, Trophimus was le- left in Miletus because of sickness, and maybe as they went north into Corinth, uh, Paul was arrested and, and, uh, and the other was left there. So he's writing to tell Timothy their whereabouts. And in the first half of verse 21, uh, we see Paul echoing the request that he made to Timothy in verse 9 of last week. He says, do your best to come before winter. Because here's the thing, if Timothy didn't make every effort to get out of Ephesus and to travel before winter, the ships would be docked for the cold season, and Timothy would likely not make it in time for Paul's execution. So Paul means business when he's saying, come on, Timothy, do your best to come and see me one last time. So in the second half now of verse 21, again, we're just, we're going through these. I want to make sure we know what's going on. You know, Paul sends greetings from all of the brothers and all of the sisters of the church in Rome, as well as three names. He says, Pudens and Linus and Claudia. And because Paul distinguishes these three from the rest of the brothers and the rest of the sisters, it's, it's probably likely that they were leaders in the church of, of house churches uh, or, or participated in the leadership of the church in house churches, which is not unlike our CGs, our community groups. Um, and interestingly, according to church tradition, Linus actually ends up as Paul's successor as the bishop of Rome. According to the Catholic church, he was the second pope. Linus was. Really, really interesting stuff. And while Let's see, so, so Pudens and, and Linus and Claudia here are mentioned nowhere else in Scripture, and it's actually unclear to us why they did not come beside Paul and stand with him while he was on trial. But it's significant that Paul mentions them here because I believe it's a reinforcing of this forgiving sentiment. God, uh, uh, Paul, Paul names them. He lists them in, in sort of a desire uh, before Timothy that God would not hold the desertion of these friends against them, as we saw in last week's passage in verse 16. 
So that's a lot of logistics. I understand. I just I want us to understand the significance of some of these names and places. And so that was 19 through 21. But what could possibly be our takeaway, right? So as I considered these nine names, these nine people this week across four different cities and four different churches, one common denominator stood out. Church, they were all counted. They were all accounted for. They were all accountable. All of these names were involved. They were plugged into Christian community. Their names were known because they were counted. See, an athlete who just casually shows up at the YMCA every week off the roster and without a jersey isn't going to have much hope of getting into the game or discovering his gifted position or or meeting teammates or receiving aid when he's injured. So how, how will the coaches and how will the players know if he's there, if he's not counted? And so the same can be said about you and I with regards to the church, the body of Christ. So have, have you, believer, have you been counted? H- have you been counted amongst the members of Substance Church? You, you might know that you're here, but do we? Do we know that you're here? Do the pastor elders and, and deacons and community group leaders who exercise service and care over the flock, do they know that you're here? Is your name known? Your gifts and your struggles and your hurts and your illnesses? Or have you succumbed to the temptation to, to kind of glide under the radar? We've got to recognize that we, we need you. <laughs> to not casually glide under the radar because you have been uniquely gifted and purposed to serve in the body of Christ in only a way that you can. You have to recognize that. There are things that you and you alone can do amongst the body, roles that only you can uniquely fill and and people that only you can uniquely minister to. Do you recognize too that that there are brothers and sisters here who have been uniquely gifted and purposed to serve and minister to you. So are you, are you counted? Are you counted? Brothers and sisters here to celebrate with you in your victories and to mourn with you in your losses, to hold you up and to keep you accountable, to stay connected. That's the big word, connected to the body of Christ because with the physical body, Only an arm that is attached to a body has any hope of being healed of a broken bone. So if you've been here for for longer than than six months and, and you're not a member, I would strongly urge you to to speak with one of our pastors after today's gathering. Membership in a, in a healthy local church is not explicitly commanded in Scripture, but we see beautiful evidence of it throughout the book of Acts and in other cases in the New Testament. And we found that, that, that church membership is the best means by which we can be counted and known and comforted and held accountable within the body of Christ, the church. 
This morning in the Worcester congregation, I'm going to have the privilege of introducing three new members to our brothers and sisters in the, in the Worcester congregation. I'll tell you their names, uh, Tom and Emily Benicos, if you know them, and uh, Darlene Morris. I'm super excited to get to introduce them to, to the rest of our members who have said, yes, I want to covenant with this church family. I want to be held accountable. I want to be held up. And so I'm excited to get to do that this morning because part of being known is being counted. It's being named amongst the members of Christ's church. And part of being counted, as we're now going to look, is being counted on for the joyful work of disciple-making. So let's look at number two, being counted on for the joyful work of disciple-making. Paul finishes his letter to Timothy in verse 22 with probably the last words he would ever write. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. I think it's so fitting that such a personal letter of encouragement to his son in the faith would end on a note of God's grace, don't you? That Paul had tasted and he had savored God's amazing grace, and it's with that grace on his lips that he signs off his last letter. See, although Paul would no longer be with Timothy, the Lord would be with Timothy. The Lord would be with Timothy's spirit in the same way that the Lord was with Paul's from last week's passage in verse 17. And the Lord's grace, church, his, his undeserved, unearned, unlimited, unrelenting favor would strengthen Timothy to boldly carry the torch of the gospel in the face of opposition and to pass that torch until Jesus returns. This is what Paul, over the last four chapters, has been commissioning Timothy to do, to carry the torch of the gospel and to pass the torch of the gospel until Christ's return. But not just Timothy has been commissioned to this. See, tagged on to the very end of this letter, the very last word, you. You see it? Grace be with you. That you in the original Greek is plural. It's plural. So what Paul, what, what, what Paul began as a personal letter to Timothy ends up being a communal letter. Grace be with you all is essentially how we could render that last sentence. See, listen, a discipling mindset is so ingrained into Paul and Timothy. It's so second nature that Paul assumes whatever he's writing to Timothy, while personal, will not remain private. Because in the Christian life, in the world of discipling, whatever Paul writes to Timothy, he is essentially writing to Timothy's disciples and to Timothy's disciples' disciples and to their disciples and so on. Even though this letter is only addressed to Timothy, Paul is absolutely certain that its contents will be transferred to many because that's how discipling works. 
because part of being counted as Timothy is, part of being counted is being counted on for the joyful work of disciple-making. We looked at this in week one of this series. Do you remember when we looked at the mandate for discipling? It was the Great Commission out of Matthew 28 when Jesus gathers all of his disciples and they're counted and then he commissions them. They are counted on to go into the world and to make more disciples, helping others to love and follow and exemplify Jesus. Church, it's so basic to Christianity that in week one we talked about that quote from Mark Dever, Pastor Mark Dever, that we may not even be a Christian if we're not making disciples, it's that basic and fundamental to our faith. That's a sobering and convicting word because discipling is the means by which God has ordained the spread of his good news. Discipling is the means by which God has ordained the sanctification of his church. As one writer put it this week on Twitter. I love Twitter for quotes. Disciple-making is not a ministry of the church. It is the ministry of the church. So serving with the hospitality team is not your primary ministry. Discipling is. Hosting a community group is not your primary ministry. Ministry, discipling is. Do we see this? Playing with the worship team, although they're not here at the minute, is not not your primary ministry. Discipling is. Running sound, Casey, is not your primary ministry. Discipling is. For me, reading commentaries and, and writing out sermons, that's not my primary ministry. Discipling is. Helping others to love and follow and exemplify Jesus is our primary ministry, church, yours and mine. If Paul were to write a letter to you today, would the contents of the letter most assuredly be passed on to others? If Paul were to write a letter to you, would those contents make it to someone else? Has the Lord entrusted you with any measure of godly wisdom or biblical knowledge or spiritual maturity? Any measure. So if if, if he has entrusted you with any of those things in any measure, church, who is your Timothy? Who are you passing that on to? Husbands, are you discipling your wives? Parents, are you discipling your kids? These things are givens. They're givens. And even more, brothers and sisters, who is your Timothy's Timothy? Just as a a good mother prepares her daughter for a daughter, so too we prepare our disciples for disciples. To be counted in Christ's church is to be counted on to make disciples for Christ's church. And so we've got to start somewhere. Uh, I know that there have already been numerous 
instances that I've heard of since this series where Paul's and Timothy's are linking up and doing life together, sharing the good news of Jesus in the day-to-day. But for those of us who haven't felt uh, urged to be kick-started in this, what's, what's something that we can do? What's something we can take away today? Very practical, very on the ground. I would encourage you right now this, to pray, to pray even right now in this moment, oh God, would you give each one of us the name of someone? Or if we're a married couple, for instance, Lord, give us the name of another couple whom we can pursue in this way. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And you, when, that, when that person comes to mind, you can, can, you can simply invite them over for a meal two times a month, two times a month, maybe every other week. And the first week, you tell them your story. And the second week, they tell you their story. And you keep doing that. You practice gospitality, which is super cheesy, but it's, uh, it's a great word. Gospitality, because part of being known is being counted, being named amongst the members of Christ's church, and then part of being counted is being counted on for this joyful work of disciple-making. Now, the bad news about all of this, it's terrible news, is that none of us deserves to be counted amongst the body of Christ like this. None of us deserves this, much less to be counted on to help build Christ's church, because each of us has turned our backs to God as we, as we walk through the liturgy. I loved Scott's words this morning. Each one of us has turned our backs to God in various acts of disobedience, and so the only thing that we actually deserve this morning is to be counted among the sinners, only and forever unrighteous and outside of fellowship with God. But listen, listen. Because the sinless Son of God was counted as a sinner, church, we sinners get to be counted as sons and daughters of the King. We get to be counted amongst the members of His church. We get to be counted on for the joyful work of building up his church and making disciples of all nations. You've got to hear that emphasis, church. We get to do this. We get to do this. And so my prayer this week as we wrap up this series, Passing the Torch, has been that we would rediscover the joy of getting to do life on life with other believers being counted, being known, and being comforted as we, as we live out the gospel together at Substance here in Ashland and in Worcester. Um, so with that, would you pray with me? Yes, Lord, let it be that Substance Church would be a church who takes discipling very seriously I pray that for those of us who are unconvinced, I, well, I pray that we would try it. I pray that we would put ourselves out there to be known and to be in a Paul or Timothy relationship with someone. And then, Lord, I pray that you would blow our minds with the joy and the fullness and the purpose that arises when we live life on mission in this way. 
It's how you've designed it, God. And we thank you so much that because Jesus was counted amongst the sinners, that we who know you have been counted amongst the righteous, among the church. I pray if there is someone in this room, Lord, who has never responded to that good news that is for them to hear, I pray that they would today. Holy Spirit, would you save? And Lord, would you sanctify your church and make us a discipling church? Lord, we're so excited for Pastor Ronnie and Melissa to come back. And Lord, I pray that you would grant them uh, supernaturally safe travel as they, as they uh, prepare to come back. And that, uh, yeah, it would be, be wonderful, Lord, to be reunited with them. We're excited. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.